Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. All right, let's kick off, shall we? Uh, we are back in the book of Luke. If you've got your Bibles, please do open it. We're halfway through chapter 17, starting at verse 11. So please do uh, find your spot there. Jesus is back on the move after like an epic, an epic teaching stint, which we've been looking at uh, over the past three chapters from chapter 14 through to chapter 17, verse 10. Jesus has been teaching nonstop and now he's back on the road. We're told he's going on the road towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem means just one thing. This is a one-way journey. This is not a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover. This is not Jesus going to visit friends and family. This is not Jesus on a weekend break with his mates. This is not lads on tour. This is Jesus heading to his death. This is Jesus on the way to crucifixion. Jerusalem means crucifixion. Jesus will be nailed to a wooden cross, dying once and for all, dying for sin. I don't know how Jesus does it. I don't know how Jesus like gets on with just the steady walk and the every day. I don't know how it doesn't consume every word that comes out of his mouth that he's talking about his impending death. I don't know how he has time for people. I don't know where he gets his energy from. There'd be so much nervous energy being spent worrying about all that was to come. I just want to get it over and done with. If I knew that death was on the horizon, if I knew my destiny was the cross, I'd want to get there straight away. I don't know about you, there'd be no dilly-dallying, there'd be no time for people. I'd just get on a super fast horse, the fastest horse I could find. I'd like a, you know, and I'd just say, ride, stallion, and I'd just get there and get it over and done with. Straight line, straight to Jerusalem, get it over with. I don't think I'd be able to think about anything else, or I don't think I'd be able to teach on anything else. I would just go on about my death, the death that is to come, but yet Jesus walks. Jesus knows the plan. And he knows he's still got a job to do. And so we join Jesus on his walk. And he's on this kind of weird bit of road. A bit of road that kind of borders Galilee and Samaria. It's a strange road because it divides two enemies. It divides Jewish territory and Samarian, Samaritan territory. And it's there on that road. As Jesus is being just about to enter a village that he meets 10 men. I say meets 10 men. He doesn't quite ever get to see them up close and personal because these boys have got leprosy. Each of them's got like a defiling skin condition. And we're not told how badly they're suffering. We don't know the extent to whether bits have begun to fall off or whether their whole body is covered in kind of like the big lesions that you might expect someone who's typically got leprosy. We don't know how badly each of them is suffering. We don't know the condition of each of these men, but we know that they've got leprosy because they're very easily definable. Each of them has been to see a priest who has diagnosed them. Each of them has been given the life-changing news that their life as they know it is now over. And now they've got to obey by these very strict religious laws that you find in Leviticus 13. Let me read them to you. Anyone with such a defiling skin disease must wear torn clothes. 
Let their hair be unkept. Cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Jesus meets 10 of these guys. They're on the outside of the village because they've been forced to live a distance away from anybody else. Their clothes are torn and in tatters. Their hair is a mess, overgrown and disheveled. And they've got to cover the lower part of their mouth, lower part of their face. They're not to be seen. Nothing should be kind of coming out of their mouth. Their breath is considered to be diseased. And so they cover up and they stand at a distance. And they're supposed to be shouting, unclean, unclean. But these guys don't shout that. These guys shout in a loud voice, Jesus. These guys shout, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And what I find remarkable about this statement is not that they're breaking the law by not shouting, unclean, unclean. It's what I find remarkable is that these guys know who Jesus is. Like, how do they know him? How have they come to understand who Jesus is? They seem to know his name. They call him Jesus. They call him master, which is to say chief. It's to say commander. It's an authority title. They know he has power. And they believe that he has the power to change things. They believe he has the power to heal. Jesus' name has begun to go before him. He has a reputation which is spreading. People are gossiping the name of Jesus around town and countryside. Everyone is talking about him. And the name of Jesus for the broken and the despised and the sick and the sinner is gospel. His name is good news. How does the name of Jesus spread to a group of guys who live in isolation, who live distanced from everybody else, how do they know the name of Jesus? I've been thinking about it. Maybe, do you remember in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out the 72. He sent out the 72. What did he say? Go to places where I am going to go next. Go ahead of me to places that I intend to go. And I wonder if some disciples have gone out in an advance party and they're spreading the name of Jesus to every town and village where Jesus is going next. I wonder if there's an advance party that as they approached the village and began to hear some men shout, unclean, unclean, they shouted back, just wait, just wait. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He could change everything. Jesus is on his way. When you see Jesus, shout his name and ask for help. He can bring you help. I wonder if the name of Jesus has been passed by a shout across across 100 plus meters to guys in isolation. And that has given them hope. Guys that have no hope, nothing left. When you see Jesus, shout his name. When you see Jesus, get his attention. Get him over I wonder if it's that. If you see him, shout his name. Maybe someone compassionate, maybe a loved one from the village who's like dad or brother has been sick with the disease. Maybe they bring them food out every day, drop it almost like we did with food parcels during the pandemic and then backed away to the edge of the garden. You know, like we used to do during that first lockdown. Maybe they've said, Here's the food, but here is hope because there's a a guy called Jesus. And if we could just get him to come visit you, he could change everything. He could change everything. There is hope. 
there's a guy that everyone is talking about and his name is Jesus and he has the power to heal. But oh, what an incredible day it would have been when the lepers fix eyes on Jesus. When they see him coming from a distance, no, he didn't glow. So they're like, oh, there's a guy that's glowing. It must be Jesus. Jesus is still surrounded by a multitude. Jesus is still surrounded by a crowd. He can't escape them. And so when these lepers begin to see a guy surrounded by a number, they're like, it must be him. Start shouting now. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. This is their last chance, their only hope. But Jesus is on his way. Have pity on us. Show mercy. And it's the cry of the psalmist. If you go through the psalms time and time again, you'll hear the same phrase. Lord, have mercy on us according to your righteousness. See, when you plead for the mercy of God, it's to remind him of his covenant over his people. It's to remind them of what God does. Have mercy, Lord, because you are merciful. They're crying out and begging that the Lord would begin to act. This is worship right here. I don't know how many times they shouted, but in verse 4 it says, But when he, Jesus, saw them, he said, Go show yourself to the priests. Go show yourself to the priests. Interestingly, they shouted, But verse 4 doesn't say, and when he heard them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. It says, when he saw them. I think Jesus hears the cry, but he sees faith. Do you see that? He hears their cries, but he sees their faith. Faith is visible. When he sees faith, he responds. Jesus loves faith. It is the, the love language of heaven. Our faith is what he responds to. His response is not what they were expecting. See, Jesus has healed the leper before. Do you remember in 1996 when I was in Luke chapter 5? Uh, Jesus, heals, Jesus heals the leper. Let me just read to you Luke 5 from 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus reaches out and touches, saying, I'm willing, be clean. But here we get this totally different uh, engagement with Christ. He doesn't approach them. He doesn't change his course. He doesn't come near. He doesn't touch or embrace them as you've done this morning. He doesn't even declare them clean. He just shouts back, go and show yourself to the priests. I totally wish I knew what the, <laughs> the lepers were thinking. I wish that Luke had gone and inquired, how, how did that make you feel? Give us a few details. What does he mean? Like, I need some clarity. Did he just say, we've got to go to the priests? What, like, what is he getting at? They've been to the priests. They know they're leprous. The only reason a leper would go and see a priest is if they began to believe that their skin was getting better. They are forbidden to enter a village, let alone go and find a priest or enter a synagogue in pursuit of a holy man. But Jesus commands them to go. Go, show yourself to the priests. Go from this place. If I was a leper, I would need a little bit more. I'd want some more clarification on what Jesus meant. 
Jesus, before you go, did you mean show yourself to the priest because you're now clean? Or, or go show, show yourself because we've been healed. Could you just clarify what you meant by this? Please, could you possibly complete the sentence? Go show yourself to the priest because. Or do you mind just popping over here and touching us? We've heard that the touch does things. Please, just just, it's not too far, we can't really come to you, but if you come to us, you could fix this. You could sort it quickly. But Jesus, Jesus has seen their faith. Their cries were cries of faith. And now Jesus says, now go. Go from this place. Go show yourself to a priest. In your going, you will be healed. So take another step. But the step is not towards Jesus. The step is away from Jesus. How hard would that have been? You know, you finally found the guy, the guy that could fix it all, the guy that could take away the pain and the suffering, and he's telling you to turn around and walk away. How difficult would that have been? Walk towards the town that has barred you from entrance. Walk on believing that you're healed. Walk into your healing. Jesus sends them to the person that will declare them clean. Even though he had the authority and the power, Jesus sends them on to a priest. The rules and the rituals, if you ever go into it, Leviticus 14, extensive rules on all that you have to do to prove yourself to be clean. There's doves, two of them. There's lambs. There's all sorts of things. Days, seven days, and then another day. Loads and loads of things that they're going to have to do. But Jesus says, go, get started. Get to the priest. But it's radical of Jesus. Because he knows the priests hate him. Hate him. Not hate the lepers. Hate him. Jesus is despised by the priests and the legal elites, the, the, the religious elites. The priests are those who have been trying to trap him and to trick him and to watch him try to make mistakes so that they can call him to be false. Imagine what will happen when 10 lepers turn up healed and ask to see a priest what's that going to do to the priest when they come the priest will come out and they'll say wow you the you're the 10 we know that you live on the edge of the village we know that you're the guys that are far off and as he begins to examine them and he would have been really worried about getting too close as he sees that the skin is healed he would surely have asked what happened to you guys and they're going to tell the story we saw a man coming. We shouted his name. And he said, what did you shout? And, he, and they'll say, we shouted Jesus. And we called him master. And we asked for mercy. We asked for his pity. And he answered and sent us to you clean. What is that going to do? That's going to blow the mind of local priests. That is really going to sort of set, the, uh, set things wildly off within the village. Oh, my goodness. I just can't even imagine. I love the second half of verse 14. And as they went, they were cleansed. And as they went, as they did, as they were told, as they followed in obedience, as their faith began to lead them to action, they are cleansed. They do as they're told. And as they go, they notice their disease begins to leave their skin. 
I don't know if it was in an instant, the moment they stepped foot away from Jesus and towards the town. I don't know if they kind of went from like deformed to reformed, right from pimples to perfection. I don't know if it was a slow transformation, you know, bit by bit, or maybe there'd been like a digit missing and they watch it grow back, but that would have been one incredible journey. Imagine that. Your life is done. You're done. Nothing to live for. Everything you know has been taken away from you, but you begin to watch life restored. Imagine the joy that begins to fill your heart. Imagine the speed that begins to fill your legs as you think, I'm getting to the town. I'm getting to a priest. I'd be running. I'd be leaping. I'd be dancing. Imagine life being restored. Imagine what it's going to mean. Their life will never be the same again. Everything they've lost will be restored. You know, within just a few days, within a week or so, they'll be able to hold and hug their families. They will be able to hold and hug their children. They'll be able to get back to work and begin to provide. They'll be welcomed in. They'll be welcomed back. They'll be welcomed to worship. Imagine the joy. Imagine the relief life is restored. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back. Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. But just one, just one of them, seeing what was going on, as his skin began to change, as he realized what was happening, was like, hey, I don't care about that direction. I'm going back to the source. I want to be with the one who's just brought about my healing. He is overjoyed and begins to run. He knows where his healing has come from, and he's full of worship, full of praise. He can't stop words coming from his mouth to glorify God, and he shouts aloud, from cries of mercy, his, uh, are suddenly turned to cries of praise. And I love the Greek here. It's awesome. In a loud voice, is translated phones megas. Phones megas. Where we get our word megaphone. How cool is that? In a loud voice, like a megaphone. Like, you know, interestingly, when he's shouting out for mercy, it doesn't say megaphone, phones, megas. It just says phones. But here, healed, restored. He's like, phones, megas. He's going to give it everything. It's absolutely beautiful. He throws himself at the feet of Jesus. That's whenever I see that, I imagine a child at a disco on a sliding floor, on their knees, at pace, with worship in his mouth, slides into the feet of Jesus. Oh, you are awesome. Imagine the worship in that moment as he shouts up at the face of Jesus, phone as megas, with a megaphone of worship. He's overwhelmed with thanksgiving. He glorifies Christ, the one who has healed him. And then Luke adds just a little detail. This is what Luke does best. And he is a Samaritan. Why is that important? Samaritans are considered to be the enemies of the Jews. The Jews called them the half-breeds, the heretics with a false religion. They were hated and despised by the Jews. But in our upside-down kingdom, you know things are going to be a little bit different than how they appear on the outside. 
You know whenever a Samaritan is, is mentioned in the scriptures, something incredible is going to happen. There's a Samaritan lady and she's at a well and what does she end up doing? What does she discover about the kingdom of God? And there's a Samaritan guy that meets a man on the Jericho road who sticks him on his donkey and rescues the guy. He's considered to be a true neighbor, a true neighbor to the broken and the hurting. And here we get a Samaritan guy, a leper who is healed. And Jesus is like confused. It appears he's confused in this moment and he asks three questions. He says, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? All of the lepers were healed. Jesus knows what power he has, but yet only one has returned to say thank you. And the only one who has returned is a Samaritan, the hated half-breed foreigner. I love it that it's the outcast, that it's the foreigner who returns. All the rest were proper Jews. They were the chosen. They were the included. But yet they take for granted the healing they've received. Maybe you could say in their defense, they were just doing what Jesus had said. He said, go present themselves to the priest. And so maybe that's what they did. But none of them were compelled to return. None of them were drawn back in worship. They were not grateful enough to return to their healer. Not thankful enough to come running to Jesus. There is no phones meges from nine. Nine of the chosen I don't know about you, but I want to be a Samaritan. I want to be so grateful for all that Jesus has done for me that I can't help but shout, that I can't help but worship, that I can't help but glorify the name of Jesus. But how quickly do we forget? How quickly do we forget the things that God has done for us? How many times have you prayed, even the smallest of prayers, even the biggest of prayers and forgotten just what God has done. Or maybe you've just forgotten and failed to say thank you. Maybe we just get back on with life, we get back to the action, we just move on, get back to it. We've got what we need and so we keep going. But we fail to stop, we fail to worship. Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. We are sorry for how quickly we run on to the next thing and forget all that you've done for us. I'm not talking about just the massive miracles. I'm talking about everything that Jesus has done from salvation to the smallest thing. Let us be a people, a Samaritan people that can't help but declare the goodness of God. I love it that my wife keeps a journal every single day with, you know, like a, a, a book of gratitude, small lines. And sometimes when I'm really naughty, I'll just read it because it's so good. It's like a diary, but just of the good things of God. Each and every day, she'll find something just to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Megaphones, phones, megas. I want to declare the goodness of Jesus. I've been thinking about this Samaritan guy. 
It's interesting that he's the only outsider in the group of the ten lepers. He's the only one that was a foreigner. And what is most sad about the, that this scenario is, as the ten began to walk towards the priest in search of a priest that would declare them clean, one of the ten would not have been welcomed. One of the ten would have gotten to the temple courts and would have had to turn back because he was not welcomed at all. See, at the outside of the temple courts, there was a, an inscription on the wall called the Soreg. And the Soreg did, described, inscribed there was a message that says, no foreigners beyond this point. No foreigners welcomed. No foreigners can pass by this point. To do so was to incur death. Death would be upon the foreigner who enters the temple courts. Forbidden foreigners. In fact, that would have been a, a kind of ancient Hebrew word, the word foreigner. In fact, you only find it once mentioned in all of the New Testament, and it's in this passage. Jesus uses it, and he uses it for a reason. Jesus names the Samaritan the foreigner. He would not have been welcomed at the temple. Sick or healed, he had no place. So he had to return. He had to return to the real priest, the greatest high priest. And so he returns. The only one to praise God. The only one to say thank you. The only one with a grateful heart is the foreigner. And he returns to the source of power. He turns, returns to the place of life. And he declares Christ, the great high priest. The one who would die in order to bring the foreigner near. The one who would die to tear apart the curtain. The one that later on in scripture will be declared and the words will speak loudly about all that he's done. There will be no longer Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. The leper returns to Christ Jesus. Jesus who makes a way. Jesus whose death provides a way for us to draw near. Jesus through whom now nothing separates us from the love of God. The Samaritan is a prophetic sign to me and to you. See, we're the Gentiles. We're the foreigners. We're the ones not welcome to pass by the gate to enter the temple. We are the ones that should remain far off. But yet through Christ, we are welcomed in. Yet through Christ, we can draw near. We are made clean because of Christ. The leper returns to Jesus, to the Christ, to the Messiah. And he wants to be affirmed by no other man but Jesus, the true high priest. And Jesus says to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. What incredible words on his face before Jesus. And Jesus says, oh, you get that. And off you go. Your faith has made you well. What an incredible moment that is. 
after he's just worshipped Jesus as Lord, as he said, you're the only priest I know. Jesus says, out you get. Off you go. Return. It's beautiful. I love the words of Christ. He commends and he affirms. Your faith has made you well. Your faith is strong. His faith has caused him to walk away. His faith has caused him to return. And now Jesus says, your faith is ace, mate. Your faith has restored you. Your faith has has healed you. Now go in faith. I've been wondering, you know, maybe faith is the secret to gratitude. You know, if you want to be a Samaritan who phones megas the Lord and his glory all the time, maybe we need to be people of true faith. Faith recognises the work of God. Faith spots what Jesus is doing. Faith holds on to the goodness of God. Faith makes us return time and time again in gratitude and thanksgiving. It's faith that makes us return to Christ, return to the source of the power, return to the source of life. It's faith that gets us to return to the feet of Jesus. And so we pray like the disciples prayed just a few verses before, increase our that we might be able to see your goodness, Lord. Stand with me as I pray. You are incredible, Lord. You are the great high priest. You're the one that's made a way. You're the one that heals us and restores us. You're the one that welcomes us. Though we're foreigners and strangers, you welcome us in. And we say, thank you, Lord. Help us not to be blind to all that you've done for us, for us, Lord. Help us to see daily the grace that is outpoured into our lives. Help us to recognize the goodness, the goodness of God. Lord, help us to shout loudly like the Samaritan. All glory to God most high. All glory to the one who saved my life. We worship you, Lord. Amen. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.